Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. This is uh, your editor, Casey, speaking. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I couldn't find material for a cold open this week, so... Um, we got to go without one. I know it's tough. I know we're all reeling from the news. And so I think for the sake of all of us and for the sake of the missing cold open, I'd like to just have a moment of silence to honor all the funny things that were said by the Skyjacks crew, either before or after they started recording. So a moment of silence for every funny thing not on mic that would have otherwise made for a beautiful cold open. So bow your heads. Oh, sorry about that. It's a text from SpoilerBot. Oh, he's wondering if I needed any funny cold open material. Oh, poor timing there, but uh, sorry, buddy. Appreciate the offer, but I'm already recording. Okay, okay, cool. Now he's calling. Hold on. Uh, I'm so sorry about this, everybody. Just get, give me a second here. Go for Casey. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, like I said, all taken care of. Yep. No, I mean, it's it's good concept. It's like a moment of silence. That way I can fill the time of a cold open without really having to actually do anything or come up with anything or do any sound design or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it should be really funny and low effort. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I have your volume really quiet. Uh, yeah, because if it were louder, then I would have to actually write dialogue for you and not just monologue on my end. Yeah, it's a little, it's, um, it's been meta from the start, but it's getting more and more meta. To be honest, I'm just making it up as I go along, so, uh, hey, buddy, anything can happen. You know how it is, spoiler bot. What's that? The Last of Us Episode 3? No, I haven't seen it. Okay, well, thank you for the spoiler. Pretty hypocritical. Well, yes, I played the game. It's still a spoiler if it's that different. No, it sounds great. Yeah, excited to watch it. Yeah. Well, buddy, uh, I should probably get back to this low-effort cold open... <laughs> Cause I really look, man, I it's, I've already edited the whole episode and this is the last thing I have to do. And I really, I feel like the more I talk to you, the more complicated <laughs> and demanding this becomes when it really could have just been a funny moment of silence. And then I could have started the episode. Yeah. Oh, like I said, no, I'm, I'm not actually making dialogue for you to come through the phone and that really like little high pitch, like thing that kind of, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. No, I know I could. Yeah. I mean, I think the audience will be grateful that I even put a fucking ringer sound in there. And, uh, like, the text sounds. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. I'll do that part. Uh, yeah, no, I think the audience will love it, you know? They they definitely love dumb bits. I mean, have you heard the show? Uh, come on. Uh, okay. I'm gonna let you go. Yeah, but I, I really gotta go, because I still have to do the moment of silence. I, I could abandon the bit, but I, I just can't. At this point, I'm too deep, so I have to just still do the moment of silence out of this. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk later. Love you. Oh, fuck, I said I love you. That's so awkward. Oh, my God. Uh, well, that is going to be a funny follow-up text. Oh, shit, the moment of silence. Okay. Um. Yeah, bow your heads, please. All right. One moment complete. And now, without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Campaign Skyjacks.
I am Travis Matico, and I kneel before no one. And my friend Uriel, Travis looks over and winks, and I will be leaving this glade unharmed. And then I want to try and transform. Cool. <laughs> what, what you reach, if you have an intent to approach <clears throat> the queen, <throat> you are still in the forest. And frankly, you have something compelling. No one could get you hear a voice in your soul. What have you brought before me, child of the sovereign? I promise to be the hand that slays your son. And what would you have need of? I need simply for you to remove a trespasser in your domain. I I object. It is done. Ah, beans. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Liz, I now need for you to decide for me Mm -hmm. what mark or ocus the queen has left with you as a sign of your accord. Intriguing. Ooh, yuck. A marbled frog's eye. Ooh, fun. Cool. And that's on the back of your hand. Ew. Yeah. Yuck. Can you see through it? Can I see through it? No, but I'm pretty sure she can. Ooh. <gasps> but only underwater. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the two little layers. You will see. And so will he. Let's go to Travis's thing. Johnny? Yeah. This is a daunting check. Yeah, I bet. For purple. What are you doing to juice this? I think in pulling the wrong strings and making the bone sword, I think I can, I sort of maybe can hack together a combination of like my magic, this stuff where I can like help the transition with the strings and like pull bones in ways to like kind of move them with the magic of transformation. Oh, weird. And cool. <laughs> All right. All right. That is going to count for one upgrade. Cause I, I love the sauce of that. The story is there. <laughs> um, so for, you said it's daunting. Daunting. Okay. Um, what else? What else you got? Is that, well, what's is that what's it? the difficult? Or what's my what's my good pool? So your good pool normally is two yellows and a green. That's okay, upgraded that's to three good. yellows. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, you can cast two luminary. Okay, I have a question. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you were planning for <laughs> what the queen was going to do, but could her be, could the queen being like, okay, I'll take care of this. Could that be her just giving me the extra juice to transform? I was kind of thinking that the way that we have established the queen has banished agents of the sovereign from her domain in the past mm. is have the changeling defeat them in combat. Um, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. So we can we can say that the queen will be giving you some extra juice for this. Was that a blue? I think that's a blue. Because okay. like the queen probably knows what she wants you to be, mm-hmm. um, and so part of the difficulty of this might be you overcoming what she desires for you and <sighs> getting what you desire for yourself. I didn't consider what animal I wanted to be, just that I wanted to transform. I have a thing that I would like to remind you that obviously you do not remember. This was in in the world building sessions. And how could anyone? I I only remember this because I went over my notes preparing today's session. And that is the sky does not belong to the queen. The forest does. People cannot climb past the tree line here we know that that's a rule and one of the reasons that's a rule is the sky does not belong to the queen that is not her domain so the queen is probably turning you into a bear of some kind yeah big bear big bear so so you're saying i should turn into a bird probably oh 
Okay, I have I have a question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does the captain mm-hmm. have a a favorite animal or an animal that he feels a connection with? And if so, is it a bird? And if so, what kind of bird? Dude, it's a little hummingbird because he recently got a little pet hummingbird. A very big hummingbird. So, so I oh, so dangerous. I love it. Can I sort of use the, whatever like the 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 captain's affection for this animal to like juice my like I'm digging through the whatever of the captain is in here and I feel hummingbird and I'm like a hummingbird is a bird and a bird can go in the sky and I'm like kind of piecing it together and pulling on all these threads so I'm like changing into this specific bird because of the relationship to the captain hummingbird not a particularly dangerous bird but like one very but in, sharp thing. But in the right hands. In the right hands. Yeah. I'll give you another upgrade for that. It's another blue? So, no. An upgrade would be or, uh, but, adding a new green die to okay. your pool. And the, the captain's hummingbird is hummingbird sized or is it big bird? It is a griffin. was hatched from a griffin egg, but it has not reached griffin size yet. You can, like, kind of what I think is, like, you're calling on Oromar's vision of what this creature will be mm, that's cool okay cool so then i want to try and turn into the biggest hummingbird i can <laughs> <laughs> well within reason i don't want to be like an 80 foot hummingbird because that would i think be worse than like being a man parade float. <laughs> <laughs> just too big to move all of the trees get knocked down all beak just sticking into the ground um but yes okay so i'm gonna try and turn into a big hummingbird i feel good i feel great this is quite the pool. This is going to be great. Before Travis rolls, the morning star turns to you. Forgiveness is not beyond yours. You are wanted. You are needed. Cherished one. You are loved. All you need do is take my hand. And we will build redemption together. And this is Jonnet's scene. This is what Jonnet presented to you. And you do know, you do know that in Jonnet's vision, there was a version of you that took this offer. But you promised that you would make the opposite choice. You promised it to Travis to show him that fate can be subverted, that will is important, that people, beings, even those who are tied up in the will of lumens can make their own choices. I think people like really and truly laughs at that, at how it all shook out. And in many other universes, this would have been the end, but because of one friendship and one promise, it seems impossible. If I seek absolution, it will not be from me. It will be from every one of my brothers. I have to take another 200 years to apologize to each of them in turn. I am so disappointed, Uriel. I do not wish to have to do this. Travis, make your roll. Uh, Two successes. <laughs> Boy, that's so <laughs> Then don't do it. <laughs> so, Travis, Oromar's body begins to change. <sighs> And an important thing about the specific species of hummingbird that we invented for this show that Huge must dicks. be pointed out. <laughs> yeah, drags the on the ground. Dick to body ratio <laughs> is just wild. It's just like it's like a clock. <laughs> this was I can't remember if we had named it, but it is what I it's a seraphim hummingbird. Mm. This is a hummingbird that has a kind of gold and silver pattern mm-hmm. that when it beats its wings 
creates the effect of like the many eyes of an angel. <gasps> so that is just a decision oh, that was made in the past, <laughs> completely unrelated yes. to this moment, paying off in, yes. in a delicious narrative juice. Mm. I think the way it yummy, looks, yummy. because like the captain's body is kneeling right now. So I think that like the first thing that happens is his legs kind of like stiffen because mm-hmm. I'm like pulling those those strings so the body just stands in a really unnatural way where like coming from kneeling it just sort of like not stepping up one foot than the other but just like stands like the legs roll out from underneath and then I think as the transformation continues to happen they just like lift off the ground as the wings start to support the body Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And what's um, great too is when he changes back, all healed, baby. It's great. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. You know what? Yeah, you were born into a new body. So Oof. physical wounds. As far oh. as he knows, nothing happened. We'll see. T- DVD, DVD. There are a lot of implications <laughs> that come with that that are crazy. Um, we'll, we'll have to work that out in, in Nathan's presence. Besides, I feel like uh, the threats are not over here. So what mm. I've determined about this situation is I don't want to enter another combat okay. because I also... I would pass away, the, for sure. Yeah, and the stats for Travis's bird, I can't even begin to comprehend how <laughs> that works. What I have done instead, I've drawn three luminaries okay. that will tell the tale <sighs> of this battle. I will turn over the first one. <laughs> it is the change. <laughs> yearning impulse and will. Travis, what is your initial strike against the morning star? I mean, I think I want one of them feathers for you. I want to just like fly right at it and try and pluck a feather. Okay, so here's a cool thing about hummingbirds, a real fact about hummingbirds. This is real hummingbird facts. Hummingbirds, the way they drink nectar from flowers is they shoot out their very long Mm. tongue into the flower. But their long tongue isn't like a normal tongue. It's forked. It's forked and has these little tendrils. Mm -hmm. So I kind of think you can reach out and grab a bunch of little feathers mm. with that, like in an unexpected strike. And also, we got to determine how big this hummingbird is. What's a good, how big is this thing that I'm plucking from? The morning star is like, I think, shorter than Gable, below wow. seven feet. In my head, this hummingbird is maybe the size of like a big house cat. So, like, big for a hummingbird, but not gigantic for a griffin. You know what I mean? I kind of think, what if I talked you into, like, six feet tall? I mean, I'm fine with that, too. Because I like the idea of... I guess if that's what it would be, and that's what was in the captain's mind, that does make more sense. And, like, visually, I just kind of think, like, having the beating of these wings, Mm, mimicking angel wings, and, like, standing near... Like, yeah, I I feel like there's there's some stuff there. Okay, you you talk me into it. Yeah. That's a big old tongue. That's a big tongue. It just wraps get... up in its stomach. Oh, I ate the wings. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I'm, gra- I'm grabbing some of those bad boys. Yummy. Okay, so like, yeah, you transform into a bird and it is extremely quick uh, that you are this thing and you begin to fly. And I think successfully, like, zip over and dart faster like mm-hmm. hummingbirds have that weird fucking yeah. like zippy way of moving like it is almost anime style like you appear in front of the morning star that tongue lashes out and grabs a portion of wings the morning star reels and the seasons change <gasps> around you and the morning star pulls a spear from the air and begins to fight you both. Let's go to Jonathan now. Well, okay. I think, okay, so now we switched from conveying information 
to frantically hacking and slashing with Kasari Gama so we can get these things off of our ankles. Yep. Uh, so that's what Jonnet's gonna do. Jonnet flashes back to the time when he was younger and Douglas taught him, sometimes, son, you're gonna be drawn into Earth by many arms of, of things that should be dead. And this is how we kind of slash and hack. It's it's just like slash Whatever, and hack. Whatever, dad. <laughs> <laughs> against against what? This is average. Two purple. Great. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. All right. So that's going to be <laughs> three failures and one advantage. So I think what it is, you are not able by any means to get these arms off of you, but they also don't make any progress like drawing you deeper right yeah, now. Yeah, it feels like it's like a very, very close up flailing. And so I th- maybe we see from Jonnet's perspective, hacking an arm, another one like sprouts out from like the dirt, grabs him like there's a two slashes on that one and then by the time that happens something else like grabs him so he's not necessarily going further down in but he's not getting out and he's very much like hyper hyperventilating at this point <laughs> but he's he's like trying to like keep his cool but he's like he's stressing the, ass, the F out mm-hmm. uh, and so I think as this is happening he's maybe just screams out Travis <laughs> we move to hip Hip, who can see Jonnet struggling in the background, can but can also see Oromar, you know, just plunging into trees, pulling out hearts. And Hip is between, like, the, you know, kind of, like, parental figure-esque emotional calculation of, like, do I go help this child that, like, is frightened and I care for? Or do I do the thing that I know will make them safe, even if it isn't immediately rushing towards them? And I think with the advantage that John at rolls, Hip is going to turn and fire at the trees again to try and shut this whole thing down. Come on. It's a pretty good roll. I just need to see... What the critical on Uh-oh. Oh. The guns are. Okay, yep. Yeah. Yeah, what were you oh, trying to help? Too, too, too high. <laughs> so it is a success doing seven damage total. Ooh. So definitely not Dang. bad. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Alright. So not enough to take them all down, but like one of the other trees next to you, just a part of it explodes in splinters and rotted wood and blood just pouring out to the ground. <laughs> as Hip fires this shot at the tree and like as more green hearts like drop dead around him uh, and are rushing towards him, he starts running then towards Jonnet to, to see if he can try and help. We've got one more round of NPC slots that we have to survive. Mm. I am going to keep them at the same level of disadvantages from that roll that Oromar made earlier, because that feels appropriate. But they are going to once again try and attack Oromar. Again. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Thank God that's a failure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's actually just a total wash. Mm -hmm. So we do have to consult the luminaries. The Maiden, mm. I think kindness uh, smiles upon us today. Hello. hello. <laughs> yeah, the Maiden usually benefits PCs, kind of no matter where and how it is drawn. I think, you know, Oromar, like, is at the point where you're running up against the fact that Travis's body, mm. as a living body, is only capable of so much, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and you've been putting it through the ringer. Uh, you know, we, we talk about, like, one of the thing stories that, that uh, Mel likes to talk about is there is a bodybuilder who, in order to lift, like, uh, break a record lifting weights, mm-hmm. sat down with a psychologist to sort of guide himself into the fight or flight panic state that like mothers who lift cars off their kids can sometimes get into because like the only way that a human being 
would be capable of lifting that much weight is like if they threw out all those concerns mm-hmm. and so managed to like enter this fugue state where he lifted like 900 pounds or whatever and then dropped it and like that fucked him up kind of for life and whatnot yeah and that is kind of the state more or less that Oromar has been running travis's body in in that like Mm -hmm. you're used to being able to treat a body like a physical object you know what a physical object is capable of even if it isn't built for that so you are starting to feel these effects and like starting to fade out a little bit hmm wild what a treating other people's bodies like broken toys be like huh yeah (laughs) but i think to stabilize himself ormar in travis's body like puts a hand against like this collection of roots in the ground and sticking out of that between his fingers now is a columbine and it blooms at him and for whatever reason this brings his his body, the remnants of his spirit within the body, a measure of peace, allow you enough stability to keep moving. Mm. We are going to turn over to Hip. As Hip is running towards Jonnet, uh, the Greenhearts once again try and strike out at him. They manage to succeed, but only barely. Some just like leap forward and and strike at his back. He takes like a heavy blow, but he keeps running because he's got more more important things on his mind than pain. Mm -hmm. And we cut to Jonnet, who is in this horror pit, who cannot be pulled further into the horror pit based on his role. Mm -hmm. But maybe he takes some damage while he's down there. And... They succeed with a threat. Uh, so this is going to be four damage coming at Jonnet. Oh, man. Honestly, I think I've pr- in the course of this show, I've probably been lower. But, like, I haven't taken this much, like, consecutive damage in a minute. Mm. You know, we normally protect Jonnet very well. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but not he's, in this he's, circumstance. He's got to learn. Yeah. I think, actually, one of these arms comes out and pulls itself around his neck and is like trying to strangle him oof uh (laughs) we cut back over to pc slots and we gotta start with johnny yeah yeah yeah. oh man i i feel like can i roll to like break away and then paint from there yeah definitely i think either athletics or coordination um in this situation i would have to call it hard but simply simply must call it Holy shit. Um, okay, yes. So yeah. that is a success. It's two successes with one threat. So I feel like I I've <laughs> I like the idea of like these frantic swipes back and forth, and then as this is happening, you uh we see Jonnet's face and we see like a hand sort of stretch out from the dirt and then like <laughs> Just like very quickly, just like constrict constrict around Jonnet's neck, and then there's like like a second of pure like like the color just flushes from it from his face. His eyes are wide, and then like fear, 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 and then we see like maybe a face of a, a green heart kind of emerge right next to Jonnet's face, like kind of like mm-hmm. <laughs> at him, and then we just see the Kasari Gama just like. He just like throws it back, and so just like Kasarigama straight to the head of this green heart. When I assume that like maybe it just goes limp, and I think that's like the thing that frees Jonnet up enough to like scramble to like his feet and sort of maybe just like clear out of this kind of sinkhole that he was in. And so he kind of pulls the Kasarigama out, then like climbs up and has like a brief moment of like he rolls over back towards uh the sky like all right i'm i'm out of that thing okay now we're we're back in uh <laughs> and so like he does the the classic like back uh like <laughs> there's no like name for it but when you like kick your feet up yeah. and like 
everybody in high school tried to do it uh, at one point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so so self write yourself again. Yeah, yeah yes, yeah, yeah, the yeah. self write. I feel like there's like a, a Dragon Ball like moment. Hands, yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's fucking rad. Anytime they do that in a kung fu movie, it rules. Yeah. Jackie Chan <laughs> does it all the time. I think it's a Tony Jaa move too. It rules. Uh, and so he he does that. But I like the idea of you still like you you get up. You're surrounded by green hearts and brace yourself to fight because. As we turn to Oromar, your next role might finish this whole thing. Let's Uh-oh. see. Okay. I-, I think with that second kind of like plunge into the tree, there is the palpable feeling and realization, ah, I have uh, pushed Travis's body too hard. <laughs> I, um... Nathan, can you just get this clean for uh, no one else but me? Uh-huh. Can we just get Oromar doing a whoopsie? Ah, I've pushed Travis's body too hard. Whoopsie. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Fans fans are going to go nuts for that one. Uh I think. As uh, with that moment of clarity, he's like, oh, yes, the gun. And (laughs) pulls the gun. I think it's it's the um, luxury custom made like quad shot gun that he has, right? Uh, well, so it's not it's not a with four quad bullets. shot. It's not that fires four bullets simultaneously, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is just. Uh, it, it's a, a a revolver that can be double action or single action. Mm. I think there is a almost coolly actually after this moment of like pushing oneself to the limit and pure horror of seeing yourself drenched in blood. There is a very smooth movement of the gun being pulled. It does one full loop on its on his finger as it is then pressed directly against the tree bark and then fires Oof. straight into a knothole. Yes. Roll it. This is easy because again, trees do not move. Huh. Cannot dodge. Let's look at my light range. Oh, that's a uh, three yellow instead of green. Huh? Oh my god. <laughs> Damn, dude. Uh, against easy, which is one, right? So let's, um, yeah, that is two, sorry, one success, two advantages. Yeah, behind you, the tree explodes in splinters and blood and falls over, like, like, actually timbers, uh, falling down, probably crushing other trees in the way. There's just, like, a fountain of blood like it is gathered up like maybe maybe ankle height mm-hmm. around your feet as it like washes out. Oh, do we get like a forest? proper samurai movie Kurosawa style like jet stream of blood? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Um, well, it, it, it's it's uh, it's like more Miike than than Kurosawa because yeah. like Kurosawa at least like has has a little bit of grace to it. Mm-hmm. But no, this is just, <laughs> <laughs> just like a what? goddamn fire hose mm-hmm. for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with that, this horror is over. Apart from the fact that you are still lost in the wood. Hey heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, our dear editor, Casey Tony, is not only one of the most talented editors in the business, he's also one of the most hardworking editors in the business. And he has been going hard on Skyjacks for over 170 episodes now. We've decided here on the OneShot Network that it is high time Casey Tony got a break. Contract work is not like an office job, and there are multiple shows that Casey juggles in his catalog. So even when one show takes some time off, it's difficult to really get a break from work because there are other shows that he has responsibilities to. We feel that in order for Casey to get the rest and recuperation he needs and deserves, we have to offer an extended sabbatical to Casey. So for the remainder of this arc, we are bringing over Courier's Call editor, Allie Grower, to edit the main Skyjack show. 
Ali's going to edit through the end of this arc and a special top secret interim mini series that will be happening between arcs. And after that, we plan on welcoming Casey back. This is going to mean a break of around three months for Casey. I want Casey to have a truly restful time, but I also want Casey to know how appreciated he is. So if you're like me and you appreciate Casey, Tony, I want you to I want you to head to social media and thank Casey for all the incredible work that he's put into Skyjacks. Let him know that you appreciate him as an editor, as a performer, as a creative voice and wish him a relaxing sabbatical. In the meantime, we'll be in great hands with Allie Grauer. Now, this transition does mean that next week we won't have a regular episode of Skyjacks. It's going to give Allie and Casey the time they need to coordinate the handoff of responsibilities. But knowing me, I will try and slip something into the feed. I just don't know what it is yet. Heroes, last week I got some wild news from my publisher over at Adams Media. They, they are sending me on a convention tour this year. I'm going to be making appearances at Emerald City Comic Con March 3rd in Seattle, Washington, C2E2 March 31st through April 2nd in Chicago, Illinois, ACD Games Day May 24th through 26th in Madison, Wisconsin, and Gen Con August 3rd through 6th in Indianapolis, Indiana. For my publisher, I'm going to be doing some live shows, including an audience quiz show with the boys from the System Mastery podcast, and for Gen Con, Con, it also means this year there will be some kind of Skyjacks live show. I'll get you more details for these events as they become available, but if you are attending one of these events, I urge you, even if the event does not have mask mandates, please wear a mask. Everybody's there to have a good time, but some of us have to be at these events for work, and we'd like to do that as safely as possible. So be sure to check out the show notes for the full schedule. As always, an enormous thank you to our backers on Patreon. You are the reason that this episode right now is so good. And you're the reason that the next episode is going to be so good. If you would like to be a part of that, please head over to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and sign up to support us. We are gearing up for a Patreon drive soon, but we could definitely use more patrons now. Now then, a quick word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. Jonnet escapes jumps to the ready for more combat and then everything just goes some degree of exponentially calmer. Mm. So then he kind of like looks left, right, peers over into sort of like the 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 parted earth and kind of is looking at the the roots where the green hearts were kind of sprouting from the dirt and nothing. And then he huh Jonet Kessler. What? Uh, the uh, Travis moves over to you, drenched in gore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, whoa, hey, uh, Travis, Travis. Um, uh, yes, I suppose I should explain. Um, you know what? Act- no, don't. I don't need you to explain because you've done enough. And Jonet, <laughs> Jonet takes very uh, assertive steps towards Travis. Rears his hand back and 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 uh, and throws like a very obvious haymaker directed at like the shoulder of Travis Matigo. Like, no man, you've done it. Like, what was that? And throws his punch. <laughs> Orma, uh, takes the punch to the arm, and then there is like a brief delay, and then Orma's like internally like ah, uh, and then like reels back slightly. Ow. <laughs> and, and and uh from that, John is like, actually, you know what? That gave me what I this you're not this isn't Travis, is it? No, no. 
Jonathan Kessler, uh, you are oh. forced, currently oh. speaking to. Oh, oh, I'm. Oh. Uh, it's it's, it's <laughs> John, fine. Jonathan's shoulders creep further and further up <laughs> with every oh, oh, oh. It's fine. I think you can uh, ah. that that punch. We can call even after I. Uh, what the hell you got going on? You jumping into each other's bodies and whatnot? Uh, uh, yes, there was a turning towards him. There was something of a bet, and uh, unfortunately, um, dues were paid at what appears to be an unfortunate time. Um, so, uh, oh. at ease, Jonathan <laughs> Kessler. Uh, I, I'm to say I'm sorry is. Is an understatement. Please don't, please don't kick me off the ship. What matters is that you're okay, relatively speaking. And I can only. I hear that. I do. I really do. And I, I I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I kind of. For me, I think I need to hear you say that you're not going to kick me off the ship (laughs) before I can like, I can like, exhale. Alramar flicks his left hand that was turned into that single ossific point and <laughs> a like spray of blood spatters on like a nearby rock <laughs> I'm not going to kick you off the ship Jonathan Kessler <sighs> see on my ships we bet over a new pair of boots or maybe drinks for the night bodies it's funny hip after you've been what I've been through, your relationship with bodies becomes a whole lot less important. <laughs> wait. You mean it is... Is... Oh, wait, I, I don't know. Donut, he can never remember the name, even. I think so, it fades, you know? Yeah. It's like one of those things, like when it's right in front of you, yeah. I, I like the idea that it just kind of gradually slips mm-hmm. away, like a dream. I love mm-hmm. that. Uh, so, uh... Wait, Hip? Hip is here? Yes. He caught you when I... <clears throat> Wait. Hang on. <sighs> Remind me again, who is Hip? I know that name. A family friend. Lula. Answering I... poor Hip. <laughs> you really can't remember me. Okay, and... And and he... Was he help? He was helping. Is he trapped in here too? Does he know what's going on? And you can see now standing in front of you the eye that floats amongst all the other things in the world. It is just there, connected to something that your mind won't let you perceive. But the eye is undeniable. Is that? And Jonet doesn't point, but sort of gestures to the eye and then kind of trailing off like looks at the captain is that yes he gives like a very meek just slight wave <laughs> in the direction of the eye hip you know holds his side where he was shot he does not feel the pain of a wound he does feel the presence of the eye i think like very much the way that jonnet couldn't open or control his eye for like the first like seven months of having it. That is exactly the state that hip is in now. He touches it in recognition that it is the only part of him. If he can even really conceive of it yet as a part of himself that Jonnet can perceive. He looks down at Jonnet at this boy that he has watched for so much of his life grow into the young man that he sees before him. And in the way that I find a lot of older men in life do, he hardens himself against the feelings that come for him in this moment and tries to remain strong, even if the person he wishes to remain strong for can't see it. First of all, does anybody here know whose fault it is that we're here? Because I don't know about you, but I fell asleep in my friend's house, and I woke up on a stump. Yes, unfortunately, uh, I have a similar 
story for how I arrived. Although I suppose that narrows down the number of options of who was at fault. We talking about whose fault this is? Because I, I I woke up in my bed in the woods. Like mm. that's not that's never happened before. Um, I I would like to know who to blame. I would blame Travis, but Travis is right here. But also, maybe not. I have a feeling, John, at Kessler, that you're not too far off from the truth. Not Travis Matago, but, um, well, I suppose now that he's a luminary, you could call her an associate. What? what? All right, I'm going to need you to slow down five seconds back up. A luminary? Are you saying... Are you saying this turkey twink over here was was some kind of luminary spirit? I wish John could have actually heard that. <laughs> uh, I think. Almost... Actually, can we just can we just say that for whatever reason it was white noise, white noise, white noise, turkey twink, white noise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, continue, Nathan. Mm. <laughs> there are there are programs within Oromar's necromantic body that do certain things on reaction incredibly easily, like the clever wink, like the wide mm-hmm. open smile. I think upon being insulted for having been better than somebody else at something, the <laughs> Travis Matico body on reaction gives Hip the most patronizing smile (laughs) (laughs) wait is this travis in there travis we're with slight art exasperation surprisingly more connected than you might think jonathan kessler (sighs) well okay well then is there a way i don't know uh, when sometimes when i open my eye i feel a connection to specific people and i can see where they are or mm. do you have any sense of like where travis might be in your body also like is it weird to be a big frame and a small body it's like wearing clothes about three sizes too small mm, constricting yeah mm. okay travis i'm sorry <clears throat> No, it's still, I guess, <laughs> Oromar <laughs> Travis sits, like, on the rock that he just previously blood-splattered and uh, tries to find uh, a position of, like, a, a state of meditative relaxation in terms of pose. Jonet, while I was dead, did... Travis ever show you how he was able to move my body around? I feel like, oh man, out of game. I don't remember if we ever actually like talked about it, but I feel like he's probably like seen. Hmm. Actually, can I, let's just say that uh, Jonet doesn't know, but can I do a perception to just like piece it together? I, I vaguely recall a conversation after Fair. the captain moved on his own for the mm. first time. I can't remember if it was just with Gable or not, but like he did say the captain can move on his own. And I think he did reference the heart. Mm-hmm. No, no, I think it was with Jonathan and Gable. Great. So like, yeah, there was, there was a period of time where upon being able to tell Oromar's body to move and it did, Travis immediately became incredibly laissez-faire with using that <laughs> ability to do things. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if incidentally he had shown you, oh, isn't it cool? <laughs> Look what I can do. Okay, well then, uh, yeah, so I like, oh, crap, bad. what was the question again? <laughs> so do you, do you recall... Uh, Travis ever showing you how he was able to move my body around? Uh, yeah. The heart. Well, if things are working the way that they should be working, even though this body has it physically, he reaches inside the jacket and pulls out the heart. In a way... He still has the other end of this. So is there any kind of like, I don't, does the, 
do the two parts like want to be together? Is there any kind of pull, any kind of way? Uh, if you hold it in the air, does it he tilt says, in a direction? Offering the uh, offering, like holding the heart in his hand, but holding it towards Jonet, still maintaining whatever lotus position he is setting on the floor. Why don't you tell me what you can see when you look at this? Mm. So then, um, yeah, Jonet uh, takes the offering, looks at the captain, kind of like does a small glance to the eye, uh, hip's eye, and then takes it in his hands, starts like focus on it, closes his eyes, and well, he's already still got the bandana on. Um, but then he opens his <laughs> – actually, I like this. He opens his eye, and he's done it like it's been a while. He has it under control more or less. And so I think like he puts a finger on like his closed eyelid <laughs> and truly just like swipes up and like it <laughs> opens the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his head cocks back and like maybe he – with focusing on the the heart of the bandit queen, sees if he gets any kind of. Oh, divine. this isn't the heart of the bandit queen. This is oh, Dreth's I'm, heart. That's right. We have so many loose hearts. We do have <laughs> a lot of hearts. Around. Kind of as a group, more more than on average, the number of hearts that people would have. <laughs> Great. Uh, thank you. Uh, later we can dub over that. Um, uh, so then we got Dreth's heart. Uh, he focuses on Dreth's heart. And um, tries to do some kind of divine check. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although it's always been trippy because it's I. I guess I want to use arcane magic, but I am always channeling the divine pathways. Yeah, it's in, well, like the way that you arrive at it is different, which is how I've always justified it. Like this is an arcane check mm-hmm. for Jonnet. Jonnet is understanding the universe, where as Gable, when Gable uses divine magic, Gable's being a part of the universe. Mm. They're they're different things. I'm like Gable is act like becoming it, and I'm just looking at it from the outside yeah you're 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 looking at it and using it in a way where where gable is like being a part of it which is just completely different positions and also like is the essential difference between what an angel is and what a human is there it is uh what am i rolling against i'm gonna say average you're just you're merely perceiving this and not interacting with or manipulating it gonna work but to what end okay so that is three successes and a threat the first and most essential thing that you see is the brilliance of dreth's handiwork perhaps seconds before he died the spell began and continued well after he passed away who knows how long it took to settle in But what you see is something that you have come to appreciate since you have met Margaret. And that is the connections that exist between people. These are not just metaphorical things. They exist in a real metaphysical sense. To Margaret and her magic, it appears as strings. And in a sense, whatever magic Dref was using has been grafted onto those. What you see is the connection between Travis Madigo and Oromar Vale and Dref Wormwood braided together and focused on knotted in the locus of this heart. Dref bound these three beings together and put them into this heart before he passed away. And those connections lead off somewhere else deep in the wood. You believe that you'd be able to follow it. Okay, so here's the thing. And John, it kind of turns towards court, the <laughs> captain and, and the eye. So I think, I think Travis, tra- Travis in your body might be in that direction and kind of points off to where the the braid is leading 
but also I don't want to be here in in these woods and it I kind of don't have a sense of like where is out and I mean it would make sense to like to go and help them but also if we're walking into something that we don't know what it is like are we are we actually helping or are we setting ourselves up for failure hmm. we are in someone else's place entirely this the woods they belong to the forest queen acheron had its accord. We we stayed in our areas and, and we offered the queen praises and gifts when we took anything from her areas and that was the way. It seems that whatever rules the Your Accord was under have now changed, but we can't really play a game if we don't know the rules. So, I suppose, Oromar says, getting back up, and trying to stretch and immediately wincing in pain. Oh, this body is so fragile. <laughs> I suppose we're going to have to ask the person who sets the rules. What? We're going to call the forest queen? We are in her house after all. I assume she's listening to our conversation. I feel like... I don't know if we've... Out of game. Jonathan has not met the Forest Queen. No. And so I feel... <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's so much fear involved. Well, I don't want to... I don't want to talk... We shouldn't bother. We don't... You don't bother the Forest Queen. You don't call the Forest Queen. You let the Forest Queen be, and then you are... You stay out of the forest. I don't even know how to do this because I'm already in the forest, and I told myself I'd never go in this... I don't want to go in this forest. You feel... A presence pressure on your shoulder. It, it kind of dissipates at the same time you are feeling it. This hip like places a hand on your shoulder and tries to calm you. Whether we mean to be here or not, we're here. I think Oromar is right. I think, you know, the, the, the queen loves loves order. The queen loves to be paid and praised. We got to make a deal. And, like I said, Acheron had an arrangement. The queen kept to her borders and we kept to ours. We shouldn't have been swallowed up. She she may have broken a rule against us. That could fall in our favor. What's more, if we are here, then that means the rest of the crew of the Uhuru are here. And... I wouldn't be your captain if I didn't put everything on the line to make sure that my crew was safe. That hits Jonnet and it makes total sense. And he's upset about it, but he's like, no, you're right. The rest of the crew is here. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta talk to the forest queen. Again, because Oromar has not met the Forest Queen, he doesn't necessarily know how this works. But I think some of um, Travis's just kind of like shoot first, ask questions later <laughs> approach to problem solving is starting to kind of like creep in in the back of his head. And he just kind of like points at the sky with one bloody finger and goes, uh, Forest Queen, I believe one of your children is in need of their body back. <laughs> wow, you are you are really playing the role of Travis very well. When you spend enough time with him as we have at this point, while I don't necessarily have the voice down, I do think I have the behaviors somewhat <laughs> memorized. Sky Jacks. Stars, you're embarrassed? I'm embarrassed. 
Usually, I introduce myself as renowned jousting champion Hildred Gastar, and I spend my night drinking for free and deciding if my patron looks like they have the skill to share my bed. Yet here I am, trying to chat up the most handsome butch in the bar, and she has no idea who I am or why I'm cool. Okay, how about this? Because I'm having fun, how about you let me order this round while I tell you about what I do? You give me to the end of your drink to talk your ear off, and you'll know just as much as the men who tell me that they're pretty sure that they could last a few tilts against me in victory. That's my bird. All you have to do is promise me that while I go on, you'll spend some time giving some consideration to how skilled I am. Yes! Tilda, too! So, jousting has been around forever. Like, before the stars fell forever. But it wasn't actually always a sport, though. I think the second thought that the first falconer had after beaks and feathers I actually tamed a griffin was, how do I get it to wreck my enemies? The old nations would use griffins in wars to do all the kinds of nasty stuff that the nations did. And for a time, the biggest names in nationhood all prided themselves on how good they were at using griffins to kill people. It is wild to think about the world before the fall, because it seems like all they did with that incredibly peaceful time was think of new ways to kill each other. Anyway, you do something long enough, you attach pride and prestige to it, and eventually the rich and powerful decide that it has to belong to them. Like, I got all this money and this special noble blood, of course I'm good on a bird. <sighs> but griffin combat was really dangerous. If you're rich and powerful, it is a big risk to go up on a bird because your enemies are gunning for you, and the battlefield was way smaller in the air. Even the best griffinback warriors of yore probably only got in like two or three actual fights before getting super injured or dead. Which is a big thing to think about if you're some second son who could easily just watch people fight and collect their accolades for yourself. So, they needed a way to take pride in their skill griffin riding while actually exposing themselves to as little physical risk as possible. So, they changed the rules and made it into a sport. I have feelings about how the wealthy and powerful get to play games while everyone else has to risk their lives, but taking a military tradition and turning it into a game actually rules. And it caught on very quickly as a practice. Eventually, all sorts of little kingdoms or whatever were hosting tournaments and jousting was a thing. You go to some old buildings in the rediscovered world or even some ruins and you can see tapestries, statues, and freaking frescoes all about jousting. And then the stars fell. Uh, and shortly after the stars fell, so did the nations. And without nations and without idle rich people, there was less call to play big expensive games. But of course, today, jousting is huge again. I mean, I, I know it's not your thing, but I promise it is huge. And it's because after the fall, when everyone figured out the sea was cursed, Griffinback became the safest way to travel. Falconry, which was already important for so many reasons, was even more important. And even with the collapse of nations and the shrinking populations, there were more tamed and trained griffins than ever. Like, more than at any point in the whole corrupt history of the world before. Once things started to look less bleak, people were like, Hey, we could actually probably play cool games with these birds. And a bunch of little communities that weathered the maelstrom just picked up the sport. For fun! To amuse themselves. And especially after skyships hit the stage and people could travel further, the jousting circuit like we know it really took off. Now we've got tournaments all over, hundreds of jousting clubs, the FJC, which I'll get into, the Freelancers Union, yay, and people like me who compete full-time. Oh, fallen stars, I didn't explain what I actually do. Okay, okay, I will get one more round. You don't have to. But if you were at all having fun, just stay mine for a bit more. I need to explain to you why I'm actually very hot and very cool and not just a jousting history nerd. Okay? Okay. And it looks like Tilda is across the room. D just hold on one second. Tilda, two more! Okay.
Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Design Doc started as a podcast about designing a role-playing game. Over the years, it's turned into so much more. It's a show about the challenges of burnout, making money from creative projects, and what goes into bringing a game to life. Come along with Hannah and Evan in a living documentation of the game design process. One review described it as the audio equivalent of taking a hike with a good friend. You can search for Design Doc on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. You can stream his short film, Lining, on the Roku channel for free. Just search for The Shortlist, Summer. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, or on his podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. And once for our friends near rise, twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky